You are listening to a unique and special production of the 110-250 Audio Studio. What's this? A day bird? A yard bird? Who's the bird? Where is he? I can see you smiling. Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino series in conjunction with the 110-250 Audio Studio with Dennis Rodriguez as the manager of the former Kansas City Power Pop Band, the Daybirds. As a part of a larger mission to capture the essence, history, and bravado of the late 90s, early 2000s band, we dig into his memories of first signing the band onto a management deal, what made them so special, deals that worked, agreements that fell through, and all of it in between from his current home base in Kansas City. Enjoy this perspective of a towering Kansas City band. Before we get into your role with the Daybirds, I know that you had associations with Michael Bolton and Celine Dion. Talk to me a little bit about what you were doing prior to the Daybirds and kind of what led you to get to a managerial post with the Daybirds. Well, uh, with Michael Bolton, I spent 10 years with him. I was a tour director and tour accountant for, for him for 10 years. Traveled all over the world and world tours, et cetera, et cetera. And then um, with Celine Dion, I, she opened for us on two tours, and I really liked their management company, and they liked me, and they were always trying to find something to get me involved with them. And uh, they called me one day and asked me if I'd be interested in doing the Las Vegas project with them. So I came on board as a project director for that. And uh, after that, I there was a death, but a VP of operations passed away. So I kind of moved over into that position without holding that title and basically became the company director for Celine's company in, in Las Vegas. Clearly, that's work that you love. What was it that you liked the best about being involved with not only the artists, but the music business? What made you tick every day? You know, the challenge... You know, when I was in high school, I was in a high school band. Probably hear this story before. I was in a high school band, and uh, out of the five of us that were in that band, four of us ended up in the music industry. And that's, you know, I was in management. One, one of the other guys, two of the other guys were techs, and the, and the fourth guy, he was a he lives in Nashville now. He's a top producer, songwriter in Nashville. And it was that camaraderie in high school that we had together. And that's what I found interesting in the music business. You know, when you're working with people and you all have the same goal and, and you know, it's entertainment. That's what it's about. It's, you know, making people have fun every night when you go up, when they go up on stage. So that was sort of drew me to it every, you know, every night, like prepping for a tour, you know, you'd prep a six to eight week tour and, You'd do all your, you know, your pre-production work, and then you'd go out, and you'd have your tour book, and you'd just go through it every day, and all you did was troubleshoot problems and get people up on stage and in the hotels and on the buses, et cetera, et cetera, and that's the, you know, that's that's the fast pace of the music business on the road. You know, it's just constantly go, 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 but without any problems. And if you do it right, you don't have any problems, but there's no such thing as a perfect world. So every day you just troubleshoot, make the best of it, and and move on, you know. What, what's up next? What's what's tomorrow bring? 
you know, the interesting thing about what you do is that you got close to something, especially when you were doing it with, with, with those musicians. You were getting close to something that was so magnanimous. How did you deal with all that adrenaline and excitement that went into it? What, what was it from your standpoint that made you operate under such conditions with your level of precision to make sure that global acts, you know, went seamlessly? I don't know, to be quite honest. I guess my upbringing, I, I, I was drafted back in the early 70s and was ended up being a training sergeant for a rifle company. And as a training sergeant, I basically had the day-to-day operations of the company, you know, six, you know, 24-7 for two years. And it taught me, you know, when I, I always knew I wanted to be in the music business. And the Army taught me a lot about uh, scheduling, you know, making making place people get from point A to point E, the support, the logistics, everything down to, you know, fuel for your tanks and your and your APCs to uh, medical support to to getting food out into the field to, you know, just all that bringing that all together. And as a musician, I knew I wasn't I knew I wasn't the caliber of musician that was going to be up on stage every night. I knew that early on in my career. I loved it. I enjoyed it, but it, I knew it, was, it wasn't for me to be on stage. But I also knew that when I came out of the Army that I had talents that I could apply to the music business, and I knew that that was out there. So that's sort of what drove me. And just to be around that much talent on stage every night it was exciting. I mean, uh, yeah, no, no doubt about it, to see them play every night. That's 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 the joy that I got out of it. You know, at the end of the show, whether it's a 200-seat a club or a 20,000-seat arena or, you know, or, or a stadium, it, it, it didn't make any difference. It, it's the crowd. It's what those people on stage did every night and the response from those crowds that, that you knew you were doing something that was good. From my recollection, the meeting of you with the Daybirds came through, I believe, Brian Kitahara and his father, Joe. My recollection is correct. But let me just ask you, how did you actually meet the Daybirds, and how did that relationship begin? Well, I, I did meet him through Joe and, and, and Brian. I mean, um, that goes without saying. I, Brian gave me a CD, and <laughs> I listened to it, and I said, okay, where, when can I talk to him? And the first time I, my recollection of seeing that with them the first time, we're all very uh, leery of each other, you know, because, you know, being in the music business uh, in, you know, I, I'd been around you know, club bands. I, I, I had dabbled in management before, you know, I'd been in, you know, the bigger spaces, et cetera, et cetera. And you're always a bit, you don't know what you're going to walk into. When I listen to the record, you know, I, I, I've said this on, on several records that I've listened to, I've made this comment, not on all of them, but, you know, you got to the end of the record and the only bad thing about the record was that it was over, you know? And it was just like, you could hear with the Daybirds, you could hear that sense of nuance, excitement, their, their sense of humor come across in their music, but yet the music 
wasn't funny, but you could hear it. I mean, you could hear that, you know. And when we first sat down with them, it was almost an immediate rapport between us only because after the first five minutes, only because they were all such genuine guys and unaffected by what they did. They had no preconceived ideas that, yeah, we're a band. We want to, you know, we we want a record deal. But yeah, they wanted all that. But their sense of humor with the four with the four or five of them together was really quite something to see how they all interacted with with each other. They genuinely cared about each other. You know that that's also something that most bands, you know, not that they don't have that. That usually comes later on. But these guys were already cemented in their friendships with each other, and that came across. And that, for me, that was very important, especially when I found out that they all wrote and sang. And there was no real, I'm the lead singer, I'm the leader of the band. No, it was a group of guys that wrote and sang together, and they were quite happy like that, and that was great, you know? Coming from what I've been dubbed sometimes the fifth day bird. I think that's the thing that always got me about them. I, you know, I understand all of the things that you said, but I think it was all about the democracy of them. I think one of the, the one of the main glues was that they could switch the instruments up, and they did genuinely just care about the whole. They they were the essence of what a good sports team you would hear about um, is all about. It's, it's really about the team, and that's really kind of the way. It, did you get that sense with them that there was this? kind of shared unity that made them tick and made them so appealing to everybody? Yeah, it was who was going to be the best to play that part, you know? Who's going to play guitar on this? Who's going to play keyboard? Who's going to, you know, that, that, that's the one thing. There was no, since there was no real quote-unquote lead singer, uh, you know, that was the other thing. Who sings it better? You know, who, who's going to sing this better? Uh, there was, was no preconceived idea of, uh, I wrote that, I'm singing it. No, it was... It was for the good of the group, you know. Who made it come across better? Who played it better? That, yeah, you you could tell that with their music, which is also a drawback because not very many bands do that. Not very many bands do that. In fact, I probably can't even tell you on hand who does that. But that was sort of their mystique about them. That was what that was what they were about, you know. Musical chairs, yeah, definitely. But it wasn't musical chairs for the sake of musical chairs. It was musical chairs for the sake of the song. Obviously, you were hooked in when you heard the album. How quick after that did you decide that you were going to take them on? And what what exactly happened? What did you do with those guys as you kind of began and started the process of being their manager? At that time, uh, obviously, I was working with Celine and her management company. And after the VP passed away, and I took a more solid role in the company, one of the things that they said was, hey, yeah, if you want to bring somebody on board for management, you know, we're open to to that. And so I immediately, the first person I gave the CD to was Denny Savage. He was uh, Celine's front of house engineer, and he has a studio in Montreal called Savage Studios. And he did work on Celine's records, you know, and worked with a lot of artists in Quebec. And I gave it to Denny to listen to. And Denny, I, you know, I figured, well, if Denny likes this band, he's the engineer. If he likes this band, it's going to be worth pursuing. He got to see the, 
called me back, loved the band, said, what are you going to do with them? I said, well, I think we need to take them into the studio and do you know, a six-song EP or something and get that out there next. And so we took them to Montreal, brought them to Montreal, put them in the studio with Denny for a week, came up with the You Rock EP. And then we presented that to the management company, both, both, both records. And I presented it to the management company only because, A, I was working for them, and B, going on your own and presenting something during that time wasn't really advantageous. I wanted something to make a splash almost immediately, and that would have been the best way to do it. And so I took it to them, <clears throat> gave them both both uh, both records, let them sit on it for a while, and then I just got the band to start playing more shows around Kansas City. You know, they they weren't really... They were playing, but it was more of a, a cult thing where they'd play, uh, you know, a date here, a date there. I wanted them to be more a real live band, play a couple shows a week, et cetera, et cetera. And it didn't make any difference whether they were where they played. You know, I just wanted them out there playing. The management company finally made a decision. You know, the band was real high on it. I was real high on it. And then the management company made a decision that they were going to pass on the band. Uh, they didn't just pass on the Daybirds. They passed on all the projects that were presented to them. They didn't pick anybody up. They only they only stayed with uh, some Quebec artists that Renee was working with. It was a real blow to to myself, to, to the Daybirds. They were all, you know, and rightfully so, because we thought for sure that they had that unique sound that nobody else was doing. They were writing songs that were very airwave friendly. So, and when you put them in a room with anybody, they had the whole room laughing within, you know, a couple of minutes, you know, just the way they, just the way their personalities are. So when they, when the management company passed, it kind of deflated Every every one of us. I mean, it was it was quite a blow. You know, and and from my recollection, you know, of of talking to those guys and experiencing it, it sounded like there was a conference call, and it was really close. Like they really felt like it was going to happen, and it was kind of like a last minute decision. Was it really kind of like a down to the wire horse race, so to speak? Oh yeah, yeah yeah. It was it was definitely. I mean yeah it it it. <laughs> literally went down to the wire. I mean, my conversations with the management company at the time, I had built the excitement around them and by bringing in the Montreal, and I actually had them come up to the, to the offices and meet everybody. That's how serious, you know, the fact that Denny Savage, a science engineer, was, was, with, was on board with it as well, that was creating that vibe, that atmosphere of a new group, bringing a new group in, to an established management company, and hey, this could be the next, you know, this is our next, not our the next artist, but this is going to be one of our artists, and we're behind them. And because once you got that clout, well, what happens behind that? And record companies listens to you, agencies want to talk to you, you know, people want to put you on tour. I mean, it it just opens up such a a wide market. You know, that, and that's that's what was there. That's what was facing the Daybirds. And it just, uh, on the conference call, 
it was like letting the air out of the balloon. I mean, they, they had already started making plans to do stuff, and I said, wait a minute, guys, we got to get the okay first just because it, it looks real positive until, it's, until it actually happens. You can't do anything. You can't say anything. You can't get it out there that we're, you're going to be signing with Celine's management company. It's, we have to wait. Yeah, there's interest there, no doubt. Strong interest, but you have to wait until it actually happens. And then on the conference call, all the air was sucked out of the room. You know, and I and I experienced that, you know, with those guys firsthand. There was there was a lot of the there was a lot of excitement that was going on. But you know, I, I can there's two sides to this and I'm thinking, you know, what they were hoping was gonna happen where they were gonna go. But from someone like you that's a seasoned management professional that's been around you know, globally massive acts that doesn't get any bigger than Celine and Michael. What were you seeing? Let's say that day happened. Let's say kind of in that movie scenario, like Sliding Doors, that movie with Gwyneth Paltrow, where something, if it would have happened different, this would have happened. What were you foreseeing if the Inc. actually got on that contract? Were they going to be the kind of band that would have opened up for a big act and started to go out on the road, or were they were going to go out on their own? What was kind of the vision for them to get to that point where they were going to become a household name, potentially? Two things have to work in conjunction, label and agency. And you have the choice of, as a band, when you get with the label and the agency, you have a choice of, you do the club circuit, get out there with the club circuit and beat it up from the ground up. You know, at that point, at that time, records, record companies were still viable entities. <laughs> so, so you really needed, a, you really needed that record deal, you know? So getting the record deal was, was the first thing. Getting a booking agency to work with us was the second thing. And, you know, not only through the management company, but through my, through my years of experience, well, there were, a lot of opportunities where we could go, you know, so we were never worried about that, but, you know, just building the, building the brand of the band, you know, just building the Daybirds into creating that excitement, whether it was opening for, you know, opening in a club situation for, you know, a group start that has a little bit more clout on their second record or something, playing B markets, playing territories, you know, building up, a, building up your brand in territories like the Southwest or the Northeast or, or the or just the Midwest being a Midwest band, and you know building and and grassrooting out from there. You know you have a projection. Where do you want to be in five years? I want to be doing X number of dates a year. I want to have you know be on my third or fourth album, whatever the case may be. You you plot that trajectory for for the first five years. Where are you going to go? Where do you want to be? If you reach your plateaus along that five year period sooner. Well, that's okay, you know. How do you make that career path work? That's the that was that was what we were looking for. Yeah, you always want you always want success at the end of the rainbow. You want you want that you want that pot of gold. But trust me, that pot of gold's elusive. You have to work really hard, and public's really fickle. Just because record company believes in you and and your management company believes in you, if radio doesn't, guess what? It doesn't work. So it's, it's, there's a lot of things that, that have to fall in place to be successful. Could they have been? Oh, yeah. No, I, I have no doubt that they could have been. Just because they had, they had the music and, like I said earlier, they, when you sat down with them, it wasn't the leader of the band talking. It was the Daybirds talking to you.
and talking amongst themselves and creating jokes and having a good time doing it. They were, when you sat down with them to talk to them, even meetings that I had with them, it was like them being on stage. They were always, <laughs> they were always on, you know, they didn't have a bad, I never saw them have a bad day. You know what I wonder now that I'm kind of resurrecting and going through the story and kind of getting back into this, which brings you kind of back into that tidal wave of what you've talked about, just how uh, brilliant and how wonderful this experience was with them every day, all the time. You know, like you said, there wasn't a bad day. But I'm wondering now that I look in 2022, there was almost a part of me that feels like, and I don't mean to use the word victim in a bad way, but they were almost victims of the time period they were in. They were in pre-social media before they could take control and be their own management, so to speak, and get the people to be interested and possibly charter a course without having to have a phone call and an eventual end because they didn't get picked up. Do you ever think about their time period of what when they were doing this and how it could have been different if it would have just been pushed forward into an era where they could have been more in control of that because they had plenty of energy and at that time they were doing all kinds of things with mp3.com and all kinds of things but have you ever taken that into consideration with the daybirds entirely it's an entirely different ball game now it's entirely different ball game Business-wise, yeah, there's so much you can do business-wise, and and do it yourself is so much easier these days. Uh, still doesn't guarantee you success, but it's just so much easier these days. You know, yeah, they were right on the cusp. You know, they were doing things, but it's it it after that conference call that deflated everybody, it kind of really took the the wind out of their sails, and they group. But if I given given today, I I have a, the gentleman that I spoke about earlier that's in Nashville. He was working with the group. They did an album, and then these guys were great singers, harmonies. Oh my gosh, they amazing did an amazing record, and they had a, a booking agent in Europe. One thing led to another, but my friend uh, in Nashville knows all about this. You know, he's grown up in that. We've we've grown up in that era, and he had everything put together to take this group to the next level. And the agency in Europe decided they didn't want to go that route, and they fired everybody. And now this band's not doing anything. And that's sort of like my point. You can still have all these great things together. It really depends on who wants to have the success. And you're hitting the nail on the head. It really is a perfect storm, and there's no way of just saying, you know, a different era would have been different. But I've I've kind of thought about them with these guys. So I'm curious, after that phone call, when did your association with the Daybirds kind of officially come to a close and everybody parted ways? Well, the guys kind of went into two different factions and after that. And I got two demos from from the two different actions and I got got the demos and I called Denny Savage and I said uh, okay here here it is here's what they're, they're presenting two different two different groups now because it wasn't the Daybirds anymore it was one was the Daybirds but the other one was a split you know somebody had left the group and wanted to do his own thing understandably so you know after that happened understandably so and 
we sat down and we listened to these two demos and we looked at each other and we both had the kind of same reaction and that was you could hear in these two demos, you could hear what the Daybirds were about. You could hear what the Daybirds actually were. The Daybirds were a combination of these two demos separately. You know, yeah, it's good, but is it is it the Daybirds? No. Could it have ever been the Daybirds? Well, you know, that's kind of like what the Daybirds were about. They were, it was that camaraderie. It was like the musical chairs. Who's going to play what? Who's going to sing what? But separately, you can hear where together it would have been a much better group than separately. And you can see where they complemented each other. And that's sort of like when we had to say, you know, I really like you guys as the Daybirds, but separately, no, I can't. I can't do it. I, now it's building something up again that maybe, maybe not. And at that point in my career uh, with Celine, I, you know, I, I couldn't take. I, I, if the Daybirds, if I couldn't sell the Daybirds to the management company, I'm not going to be able to sell this to the management company. That's ultimately the crux of all of this. The Daybirds together in that incarnation that made you say yes. That was the magic. And I'm curious now that you lean back in your easy chair, and I've probably reignited some memories that you may not have had. If you really like think about the Daybirds and that time period that you were with them, what's the essence of their legacy? What does it mean to you? After we spoke on was it Monday, I, uh, <laughs> I actually pulled up those two records and I listened to them. They, they had such a unique style of writing and of of creating their songs and it, it just wasn't one song it was a group of songs so that first record i think there were 16 tracks on it and people go oh 16 tracks were, were they crazy blah 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 but it's just like one song almost led into the next it wasn't like it's not like the album told the story but they just went together so from song to song so well like I said, you know, you you don't you get to the end of the record and you go, wow, it's it's over. Okay, well, I'll play it from the beginning again. You know, do you have a favorite song? Well, they're all really good. I I, I don't know which. You know, it's their legacy. I you know honestly, they they fell victims to the to the early two thousand. You know, they fell victims to the early two thousands, and and it's a shame. Um, that that they couldn't uh, find their voice in the industry. I think that they, as a group and as individuals, had a lot to give. And I think they could have given not only to themselves, but to other artists as well. You know, successful people write for other artists. Good, good songwriters, so, you know, write for other artists. You know, you hear a good songwriter, you ask him, hey, can you write something for me? I, so I think that's probably, you know, A, I think the world missed something with them. I think that, you know, because it, it's unique, it's one of a kind. You, you'll never you'll, you'll never hear another band like that. And I've, I've listened to a lot, of, a lot of stuff over the years, and they are definitely 
a very unique talent, you know. Let me ask you this. How crazy would it be for me? And I'm going to kind of build this question up a little bit. You know, when I was hanging out with the guys, you know, we loved the band Jellyfish and obviously the Beatles. And everybody had this yearning for Jellyfish to come back one more time. And I actually had the chance to interview Jason Faulkner back in like 04, 05. And he explained how that was never going to happen. And then, of course, we all know the story with the Beatles. Everybody wants that one moment. And my question to you is two-pronged here, because I come from somebody that loves these guys to this day probably more than anybody that, that, that I know on this planet. And they, they are family in a very special way for me. And I'm curious how crazy you would – how crazy is the notion to think that these guys would reconvene at some point and do that? Okay, how crazy is that? I'll, I'll, I'll answer that with this. Uh that gentleman in Nashville I told you about, that high school band I told you about, for his 60th birthday, we put the band back together. And we played three years in a row on his birthday. We did just just for giggles and grins. And we weren't doing original music. We were doing covers that we grew up playing in the 60s and early 70s. I think anything is possible. Can these Would these guys do it? I don't know. I don't know, but anything is possible. Would it be a special event? Oh, yeah. It would be very special. That would be something that you would want to record. Are you going to be there when it happens, if it happens? Sure, why not? I'd like to I'd like to be the one recording it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. So I think we got that figured out. I guess for me, you know, I just turned 50, and I look back on that time where I hung out with them, and I think about things that were going on in my life at the time. And I can't remember really what was really bothering me on a day-to-day basis. You know, what were your problems 20 or 30 years ago? And I think that's the other part of this that I think with these guys. They were brothers, and I would love, and, and John Yeager was the one that proposed this when I asked him about doing this project. He already has mentioned the fact that everybody gets together at a minimum on a Zoom, and I think that would be a magnanimous way of everybody reconnecting. That That's kind of the point of this. There's a band. There's the guys that went to the band, but I think it was that friendship. It was that love that they had that's been that, – that, that, that made the Daybirds who they were. Yep, that's very true. That's very true. As they say in Hollywood, maybe other – realms of show business more to come i think we've just more, started honestly i mean the last time i saw them play i happened to be in i came into town and they were doing a date and it was actually uh it was sort of like a, a showcase date for, for lack of a better term i say showcase because the sun was still out <laughs> it was down in westport uh, and they did a set and there was a small crowd there, but it was a very dedicated crowd. And that's, you know, it, it just goes to show you that, you know, yeah, anything's possible. Anything is. Anything is. And I think that unless there's something that is really deep-seated, I think the possibility of, of that happening, getting the, them getting back together, even if it's for one show, is, is greater than not. So let me ask you this before we get off the phone. Just I'm I'm, I'm going to do this with everybody associated with the band, and in the band, I know you've spoken about culinary arts. Tell me 
what you're doing these days and if you're doing anything with music. What's going on with you? Oh, gosh. Culinary art. <laughs> <laughs> I dressed it up, Dennis. I wanted to on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that lead-in. Yeah, culinary arts. Well, um, I, I won't get, won't give you the back background on it, but I'm currently uh, in partners with a friend of mine that <laughs> the guy that I was in uh, high school high school band with. He built a food truck, and um, we weren't supposed to be operating it, but through bad decisions, we ended up taking it over, and uh, not bad decisions on our part. But we operate this food truck called Tony Rico's, and it's um, Mexican and Italian. Me being the Mexican side, and my buddy being the Italian side. Yeah, we we operate that truck, and you know, we're both uh, we're both retired. We, we we only do it. Last year we were very ambitious and worked four days a week, and you know, almost killed us. So we're down to three days a week this year, and this is our last weekend, Halloween weekend. And then we're closing down for the winter, but that's basically what I'm doing now. You know, it's it takes up way too much time. You know, I wish I was 50 years old. I, I, I'd be, I'd have more energy to do it. But you know, this at this at this point in my life and my uh, this wasn't what I had planned on doing. I, when I retired, I planned on being retired, mowing my grass twice a week, keeping up with the neighbors. You know, but you know, and far as music, you know, I. I don't really, I, I listen to basic instrumental stuff these days. You know, after all those years on in the music business, I, I need to have something soothing. There are times when I like to listen to like classic vinyl or, you know, stuff like that. I don't, I keep up with the newer stuff out there now, but I don't listen to it on a daily basis. I know who people are, but I you know, I, I don't really pay attention to how popular there are, you know. Well, Dennis, I'm going to tell you, as we come to a close here, there's two things that I would love to do. I would love to meet you at some point, and I would love for us to talk about, after this comes out, about how good it feels that more people know about the neighbors properly. Yeah. Um, well, you got my number. I'm in <laughs> Kansas City. Absolutely. Well, hey, man, Dennis, this has been wonderful. I'm glad that we finally had the chance to meet, even though it's over the phone. So at some point, hopefully, I'll run into you. But the story shall continue, and I will definitely be in touch. I look forward to it. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, brought to you by the 110250 Audio Studio, where we give you a fresh and comprehensive insight into the finest musicians in the world. Thanks to Dennis for being open and refreshing about a band with panache. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the famous interviews with Joe Domino on both iTunes and Spotify. Swing by the Neon Jazz channel at YouTube. And for all things relatable or forgotten, jump over to JoeDomino.com. Until next time, enjoy the music out there. What's this? A day bird? A yard bird? Who's the bird?